Jamie's going to come up here in just a minute, but I just wanted to take a quick moment just to say thank you for coming out. If you uh, haven't been able to be here for the whole GMHC experience, it's been great. Just hearing how God is working around the world, using something like medicine to be able to open doors for the gospel. And so that's what we're all about here, learning how that's, that's working in different places. And just want to say thank you for coming out. And if you haven't had a chance to stop by our booth, there is a uh, survey we gave you on the way in. We just want to get to know you a little bit, a little bit more. And we want to keep you up to date with what's going on. You know, we're developing tools and technologies that equip indigenous Christ followers around the world so that they can go meet the needs of people. Not just to meet those needs, but so that they can address a spiritual one as well. So we want to let you know about what's going on. We want to hear from you. And I think this is just a great way to start that, that relationship. And as a thank you, we have a DVD that we want to give you. Generally, it's a $10 DVD, but we want to give that to you just to say thanks for, for filling that out. Um, if you missed the opening session on Thursday night, we gave an update on Steve. Um, if you missed that, we wanted to give you a chance real quick before Jamie came up. We're going to just open up with that video while everybody's getting seated. So uh, we'll go ahead and roll that now. Thank you. Missions Health Conference 2012. I'm sorry that I'm not going to be able to be with you this year. I had uh, an accident back in June that uh, has left me, well, two and a half months ago I could just barely move this little finger. I'm coming as you can see, but uh, the body doesn't do what I want it to do most of the time. But it's been great to be on the receiving ends of health care for a change. And I want to encourage all of you, the health care opportunities that we have overseas are great opportunities to go not only and care for people's physical needs, but for their spiritual needs. Why do we call what happened to me an accident? Because we assume that... Uh, it's a bad thing because it's resulted, I can promise you, in a great deal of pain and lots of effort, not only on my part, but lots of other people. We call it an accident because in our culture, we've tended to think that the ideal life is one that is just easy and has no pain in it. But we know that God teaches us a lot more through the hard chapters in life than he does through the easy ones. Think of my dad his death and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim. People have called that a tragedy my whole life. But now there are tens of thousands of people who've gone into ministry themselves or whose lives were turned around because of that story. And now through movies like End of the Spear and books that we've just written, lots and lots more lives are being touched. You know what? I'd like you to consider something new. Consider first that a lot of the things that we do to care for people and do good don't result in the good that we would like it to do. Why? Because we go and do it ourselves and then we leave. Or even if we don't leave, unless we make disciples both in health care as well as in spiritual needs, we really haven't done what Christ has asked us to do. 
He asks us to go and make disciples. I mean, Cain Onpora, one of the men and uh, and his wife from the tribe who killed my dad are here with us and have been here with us for a month. I can't imagine having my dad back at the expense of having Minkai and Dewey and Gikita and Kimo and Dawa and many others in the tribe changed in a way that they would know Christ. I urge you and I challenge you at this GMHC conference, consider what we could do in healthcare if instead of just going and doing healthcare, if we would make disciples where we go. What if we would do God's will, God's way? We could reach the whole world, and that's what I'm hoping that we will do together. Have a great conference, and maybe I'll get to see you next year. You guys are no fun. (laughs) You know, this morning, we heard from my dad, and, you know, I've had a background in missions my whole life. From the time I was just a little kid, I mean, missions has just been something that is, it's not something that I've had to learn, it's not something that I've um, gone after to try to learn, okay, what is missions? Missions is just part of life. From the time I was very young, I remember some of my earliest memories, actually, when I was uh, about five years old. We were down in Ecuador, South America, building a hydroelectric plant. Now, I was not building the hydroelectric plant, though I got to see my dad and my uncle do that. And then many times, I've been down to Ecuador about 14 times now, doing, doing a multitude of, diff- of different things. But also, we took a year. When I was in third grade, we went over to Mali, West Africa. My dad had been asked to set up a, uh, a communications network for MAF. And so we did. So, I've taken many trips. I've led teams to go to different countries around this world. And when we go to another country, the, the need, the hurt, the pain is so evident. I talked on... Thursday about the need, the the dilemma that we face in missions today. There's so much need that if all of us were to go and try to meet that need, we'd only be able to accomplish about 5%. And then the people back here, they wouldn't have the doctors and the the dentists and the nurses and all those things that, that we do need. So how do we do that? Well, as I was as I go to other countries and you see the need and it's we want to help. But then when we come back, something that has really struck me is that if you look carefully, there's just as much need here in this country as there is in any country around the world. Now, it's not, it doesn't look the same. In other countries, it's things like medicine and dentistry. It's things like optometry. There's many, many needs and they're very obvious. 
When people are hurting, they tell you about it. You can see it sometimes. But when we come back here to the United States, the need is just as significant. It just looks different. So this morning, what we're going to talk about in the other 50 weeks is, see, short-term missions has become a very sexy term in the church today. It is. We talk about, oh, I was just, I'm going on a mission trip. You are? That's going to be wonderful. And we go and we do things for people. And we may even help them. We may even train them how to do things for their own people so that there will be a lasting impact of the short-term trip. But then we come back and, and most people are going to be on fire for the Lord for about two weeks. We make decisions when we're overseas We say, oh, this is what I need to be doing when I get home. Because we see people in need, but we come back to the busyness of life. Back with our cell phones and our smartphones. I mean, I haven't opened my computer this whole time that I've been at GMHC because I can do everything from my iPhone. But we get so caught up in our lives in the things that are going on that we lose sight of the other 50 weeks. We focus so much time, energy, and resources on two weeks a year that we lose sight of the other 50. But you know what? I'm here to tell you this morning that the Word of God doesn't say be a missionary two weeks out of the year. We have been called, and and Daniel said it last night, He said in similar terms that we need to bloom where we've been planted. We need to make a difference right where God has you. And do you know what? God has you somewhere for 52 weeks out of every single year. So what do we do about that? You know, years ago, I've been very passionate now for, for a number of years to help people in the area of their finances. Because... When I come back here to this country, one of the biggest needs that I see in our country is financial. Now, people can hold it underneath the surface. And they can make it look like everything is fine and good. But you spend two minutes talking to somebody, intentionally trying to find out what's going on in their life, and do you know what you find out? You find out that their life is full of a bunch of garbage. That there's a lot of pain in their life. But finances is one of the biggest pains that I've seen. People who are struggling to make ends meet. Who are are laden down by the burden of debt. I've challenged people over the course of time to go home, turn on the TV, and watch commercials. Do it for an hour. Just one hour. Every time a program comes on, Change the channel. It shouldn't be too hard to find commercials. But listen to what the commercials tell you. Commercials in this country are telling us that we need to look out for ourselves, that we deserve X, Y, and Z. We deserve to be happy. And how are we going to be happy? By having that new furniture. And it's so good that there's no payments and no interest for like three years. And so by the time you actually have to start paying for it, You really don't like the furniture anymore. 
Now, it would be really funny if that wasn't reality. And just knowing a little bit about the statistics of that, there are people in this room who are hurting financially. So I said, okay, man, how can I help people in the financial realm? My parents had invested in me, had taught me from the time I was a young kid that we need to, you know what, money can only be spent one time. That's it. And if you go into debt, there are people that you have borrowed that money from that you do have to pay back at some point in time. But you don't have to just pay back the money that you borrowed. You have to pay back more than what you borrowed. So, well, that's, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. So I said, okay, well, if I'm going to be wise financially, as my parents taught me, I need to not go into debt. Okay, that makes sense. But then I see people that I'm working with, people that I'm, that I'm next to in church, who are struggling financially. So I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the principles from the Word of God that my parents taught me, and I'm going to invest myself through my church and through my work, and I'm going to sit down with people, I'm going to help them create a budget. Now, we think budget is such a, such a dirty word in our society today, isn't it? Budget. It just doesn't sound good. People think that a budget is something that ties us down. But you know what? A budget, when done properly, is a structure within which, as long as we stay within the confines of that budget, we can do whatever we want to do. A budget is a structure that provides freedom. It doesn't tie us down. So I started sitting down with people. And I've sat down with hundreds of couples. Helping them one-on-one for two to four hours. Sitting down and planning it out and showing them, look, if you stick with this budget, I don't create the budget. I help them create a budget that will work for them. Then I show them, look, if you were to stick with this budget, in 18 months, you'd be debt-free. I just sat down with with a couple recently. And she's, he's working, she's working, but she really wants to go back to school. So we sat down and said, okay, if we were to do and to help them create a budget, and then I try to zoom back and say, okay, here's the big picture. And you know what? I was able to show them that within seven years, this is a young couple, 20 years old, 21 years old, been married just about six months. In seven years... Not only would she be through school without any student loans, but in addition, they could purchase a house in our area. Not not a shack, a house in our area, and have completely paid for it. A hundred percent. Now, who in this room could live a little differently if you did not have a mortgage? Or rent? It's a mind-boggling thing that we don't even think about. We're always going to have a A house payment, we're always going to have a car payment. So might as well live where you want to live and drive what you want to drive. That's a lie. It does not have to be that way. But as I would sit down and I would show people this time after time after time, you know what? A few would stick with it. But the majority would not. And I said, okay, what is the disconnect here? What's missing in this That they're not getting. Do they not realize if they just exercise a little bit of discipline? 
then in five, in ten years, they could have their house paid for. They could have everything paid for. Now, instead of all this money going to the bank, it could be going into missions. It could be going into investing for the future. It could be going into so many other things. Time after time after time, they wouldn't stick with it. I had a friend in in college. And I remember this because, once again, my parents had instilled all these things in me. All these financial, all this financial wisdom from the Word of God. It's the stuff, like Dave Ramsey says, that your grandmother has done and has been telling people about for so many years. He just packaged it really nicely. If you're not familiar with Dave Ramsey, it's Financial Peace University. It's a great series, nine-week series now. But I, I was with this guy and we were in the swimming pool at our apartment complex. And it was close to the end of the semester and he was bragging to me that he had $1,200 left in his student loan. And he, was a, he had gone to the store and he was going to be buying the stereo system for his apartment. I said, are you kidding me? Because my mind immediately went to, okay, he's going to spend $1,200 on a stereo system for his apartment with money that he borrowed that he will have to pay back. And I thought, I wonder how much that stereo system will actually cost him. You know, as, as we started this organization uh, underneath iTech called iTech's Life University, uh, my buddy Jim, where's Jim? He was around here. He was the guy up on stage just a few minutes ago. Um, I actually, about five and a half, six years ago, our pastor had asked me to do their financial, the financial part of, the, part of their uh, premarital counseling. And Jim thought I was nuts. I was, let's see, five years, I was about uh, 29, 30 years old. And I said, look guys, I said, if you stick with this, I said, you can live a debt-free life. Just about a year before that, I had paid off my house. And it was just a, such a freeing thing not to have those big payments. It's not that I've ever made a lot of money. I've just been very careful with the money that God has entrusted to me. And so Jim, he, I mean, he thought I was off my rocker. But if you were to talk to us today, Jim is more hardcore than I am. I mean, he's all about it. He's facilitated Dave Ramsey, I think, six, seven times now. In fact, just, a, just about a month ago, this is free of charge, this is a tangent, he got to meet Dave Ramsey. They had this facilitator's little dinner thing down in Orlando. And Jim was invited, and so he and his wife got to meet Dave. And that's, um, what do you call that, a bromance, I think is what we call that? Yeah. He got hit hard with that one. Well, but then Jim, Jim came on board to help me start iTech Life University. And Jim said, well, Jamie, while you're sitting down you know, with people and telling them the, you know, how bad credit cards are. He said, you have credit cards. I said, well, yeah, but I pay them off every month. And he said, but how can you go and tell people that credit cards are bad when you have them? So ultimately, what you're telling them is, well, once you get to the place where I am, then you can have credit cards again. Well, that doesn't work. But how do we, how do we live intentionally for the 50 weeks a year if we're, what is the church accused of today? The church, what? Hypocrisy, right? We're a bunch of hypocrites. And that's what Jim pointed out in my life. I need, I need Jim in my life. Because Jim tells me, Jamie, hey man, what you're saying, I'm all about it. But you're living 
differently than what you're saying. Just because you can handle credit cards doesn't mean you should have them. Another tidbit free of charge. Do you know what? There's only one thing that you can do with a credit card that you cannot do with a debit card. Anybody want to take a guess? What? Rent a car. Go into debt. You've been through FPU, haven't you? Or you've listened to them, right? The only thing that you cannot do with a debit card that you can do with a credit card is go into debt. That's it. My wife, when we were getting rid of our credit cards, I told her, I said, "Hun, I said, yep, discover. Uh, we, we've been done there. You know, we've been there. We've discovered it. We're done. We're over. Um, American Express, well, it wasn't fast enough. It's gone too. And so she's like, well, what do we do if we have an emergency? I said, honey, that's why we have an emergency fund. And so if we have an emergency, we transfer the money from our emergency fund into our checking account and we use our debit card to pay for it. Does that work? You know what? It does every single time. But there's also another principle, and I need to move on, but there's another principle with that, that when you have an emergency fund, guess what? Emergencies tend not to happen. Do you know who emergencies happen to? People without an emergency fund. Well, as we were starting this, we we were trying to look in and say, okay, how do we have an impact? People are hurting in the area of finances. We also saw that people are hurting in the area of career. We said, how do we make a difference in our culture today? What do we need to put together so that we can have an impact right here with the people that we're around every single day. Well, then I thought of my family. And I think my family is going to be about to be on the screen. This is my wife and my six daughters. Yes, I am very blessed. And they wonder at work why I'm so readily available to go on all these uh, speaking trips. This was taken actually just about a week ago. Actually, this past Sunday it was taken. I have six daughters. There are six very, very lucky young men out there who one day, if they survive dad, (laughs) will be able to marry these girls. But you see, our culture today, and now it's it's so... Our oldest daughter, Stephanie who's there in the blue shirt. She just started middle school. What a scary place that is. Not for her, for me. Because I know all the influences that are there. And so I determined a couple years ago, I wish I had put this picture up there. There's probably no way to put it up there. The picture. You got it? Okay. Somebody, Jim, where are you? Will you run this up there? You guys got to see this picture. If we can get it on there, you got to see it. But a number of years ago is um, when I had my daughter Stephanie. I didn't have her. My wife had her, but we had her together. <laughs> thank the Lord for that. I thank God every... <laughs> I tell you what. Man, ladies, I realized how strong my wife was when she had Stephanie. And then she kept wanting to have kids. And then uh, before the twins came... We hadn't decided whether we were going to have more or not. And then before we knew it, well, we were pregnant again. And then it wasn't one, it was two. And they are identical. And they're, they're, uh, but another side note, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Our twins, they are identical. And people at church, people that we go out with, and me, had trouble figuring out, okay, Chloe or Lily? So, what God, God did us a favor. Uh, unfortunately for Chloe, but fortunately for the rest of us, we were at my uh, brother's house, and she was in the back of the wagon that her cousin, who was a couple years older than her, was pulling. Well, he stopped, she got up on her knees, and then he started again, and she went over, hit the pavement in her tooth, didn't come out, and went out. Right through her gum and everything, big old fat lip. But now we know which one is which, because we just, hey Twinner, we call them Twinners too, because then it's both of them. And uh, we just have to try to get them to smile so we know who is who. Anyway, another thing that was free of charge. But, with my girls, when Stephanie was, was young, I realized, man, I'm, I, God has entrusted to me this precious little girl. And there's going to be so many influences that come against her. There's going to be boys. Now, she's just kind of starting getting into that area where they're no longer necessarily totally gross. She just kind of smiles. You ladies know what I'm talking about. And so, you know, I wanted to, to be a man that, that my girls would look to. And so, I realize there's really three areas that my girls are going to look as far as a man. How they might fall for a boy. One is going to be in the physical area. Right? If somebody's just, don't put that, okay. No, 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 not yet, not yet. Easy. Easy. Man, he's going to tell my story for me. But I realized, okay, I need, if, if she's going to fall for somebody who's physically fit, but not spiritually and emotionally fit, I need to be physically fit. I need to be the example that she holds to. Then I said, okay, and hang on, don't show it yet. We'll get to it. But I said, if I'm just physically fit, but not spiritually and emotionally fit, well, that's not good either. So I need to be physically, spiritually, and emotionally fit. So when my daughters go to school and they look at boys, they're going to say, okay, he may be physically fit, but man, he's a jerk. And he doesn't, he doesn't know the Lord and doesn't have anything to do with him? Not for me. But at the same time, I don't want them to go and find this spiritual boy who's not emotionally and physically fit. Because then he lacks discipline. I also don't want, to fall, want them to fall for somebody who's emotionally fit, but not physically and spiritually fit. Which I could go into the whole... I won't. That would, that would not be good. But you know what? Then I looked in the mirror. Now's the time for this. If you look in the back, far right corner, that's me. This is about 10 or 12 years ago. I weighed about uh, 40 pounds more than what I do right now. I didn't feel like I was overweight. I weighed 218 pounds. But I looked in the mirror and I said, I am not setting the right example for my girls. So I started working out. I started, and it started small. I started by playing basketball. Then walking the golf course instead of riding. And then it got in a little bit more into doing these sit-ups. These bicycle crunches. 
And then from there, I said, okay, now I need more. I was, I had worked up my way where I was doing, um, about five to six thousand bicycle crunches a week. And I said, I need something more. And some friends of mine had introduced me to, uh, P90X. Anybody been there? So I'm on my seventh time through that right now. But after doing it about three times through, and I've, I've modified a little bit, um, a friend of mine was going to do a, uh, a half Ironman triathlon. I said, okay, let's do that. I said, when is it? He said, well, it's in 12 weeks. I was like, what do I need to do? He said, well, you can borrow my bike. I hadn't ridden a bicycle since college. And this is now uh, just over two years ago when this took place. Hadn't ridden a bicycle and never had ridden a road bike just to, like, ride. And so I started riding. I started swimming. I hadn't run a mile since high school. I started running. I had 12 weeks to do a half Ironman triathlon. But you know what? Now, and I'm not suggesting that you do that because, you know, build. Build slowly. But here's the deal. I needed to be intentional in every area of my life. Well, back to the story. So when we had started iTech's Life University, we said, okay, people are hurting in the area of finances. People are hurting in the area of careers. It was on the news every day. I mean, it was just out there. People knew about it. It was, it was prevalent in our, in our society. This is two and a half years ago. So we said, okay, let's do this. Let's develop a finances course. Now, we know about Crown Ministries. Um, Chuck Bentley is a friend of mine. Great guy. Great ministry. Um, FPU. Jim is a good friend of Dave Ramsey. Uh, they have that bromance thing going that I mentioned before. At least it's a one-way thing. Um, so we're all about it. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. But we said, okay, why don't we do something that's longer than one session, but shorter than, at that time, Dave Ramsey was 13 weeks. So let's do finances one-on-one is what we called it. Four weeks, we'll offer it in the, in the library. We talked to the library. We wanted to do Financial Peace University in the library, outside the doors of a church. Because people in our culture are hurting, but there's a lot of people, even though they're hurting in the area of finances, will not step inside the doors of a church. So I said, okay, why don't we do Financial Peace University in the library? The library said, well, uh, as long as it's free, that's fine. I said, well, it is free. We're not making anything. You have to pay for the materials. Well, can't do it in the library. So we talked to the county. And we got the county, Marion County, Florida, to allow us to use a building. We walked in there. They gave us keys to the building, the alarm code, everything. It was amazing. And then Jim and I went door to door with flyers that we had printed out. 620 flyers within just about a mile, mile and a half radius of that, of that county park where that building was. Talked to so many people. We said, we're doing this financial course. Um, it's a nationally syndicated radio guy that does it, Dave Ramsey. Um, it's going to be great. People, you know, on average have a, like a five to $7,000 switch in, in their, um, you know, in debt, pay off debt and save and all of that stuff. And people were like, oh, we need that so much. Oh, we will be there. 620 flyers. Guess how many people showed up? So, well, okay. Let's step back. Hmm. So 620, not a person shows up. But they all said that they needed to come. So what's the problem? So, all right. It's because Dave Ramsey cost 100 bucks to go through. All right. So what we, then we talked to the library again. We'd like to go ahead and do finances one-on-one. 
four-week course in the public library. We handed out 500 flyers door-to-door to apartment complexes and HUD housing within one mile radius of the library. 500. Talked to a lot of people. Everybody said, oh man, this is exactly what we need. We've been struggling. We've been hurting. Yes, we'll be there. Guess how many people showed up? One. Yeah. Progress. <laughs> but one person. And we stepped back and said, okay. And we discovered two things that day. One, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Did you get that? People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Huge principle. The second thing we realize is that people are not just hurting in the financial and the career area of life. They're hurting in every area of life. So, okay, well, what do we do? We developed a tool for the church to be the church. Now you say, well, what does that mean? I go to church on Sunday. Yes. But that's, that's when you go and you get recharged. What are we doing? Church really starts when we walk out the doors of the church building. Are we being the church in the community? Now, churches across the country have a huge outreach programs. They do a lot of things. But with our foundation in iTech and the missions dilemma, which I'm sure many of you have gone through, we realized when we do something, we need to do something that does not create dependency. We can't give handouts. We need to give a hand up. Now, there's a lot of people in our society today, right here in the United States, that they do not want a hand up. They just want a handout. But for those who, because of situations, because of whatever it is, they are in a place of need. They are hurting, whether it's in their finances or in their career or in, the, in their family life. Man, we looked at statistics. 50% of marriages today are ending in divorce. Across our country. 50%. We looked at how people are struggling. Yeah, man, student loans. And I know a lot of you are there. My brother is a, uh, is a surgeon. He had student loans too. I understand how it works. But here's the deal. Student loans. Well, when you're... And especially if you have student loans and you're not going to be a doctor or you don't have the the income, it's going to hang over your head for a long, long time. But when we have other kinds of debt, you know, we don't... We become less satisfied in our career. But so, we get to our family. Man, all the divorces that are happening in a physical area of life. Minkai has a great time talking about North America. Uh, Minkai just actually... For those of you who don't know who Minkai is, talk to me afterwards. I think most of you know Minkai was in the, the video... Minkai comes up to the United States and says, now I know why all the foreigners are so fat. He says, they go to the, they, they don't have to go and hunt for their food. They go to these big food houses. And they just walk in and they take whatever they want. And then they go as they check out. For those of you who have seen Beyond the Gates of Splendor, um, in the, uh, you, you see Minkai in the grocery store. I mean, just a marvel. Just amazed every time he goes in. And just the amount of food. And then I, my dad said, well, you know, Minkai, it's not exactly like you just you know, go through the line and smile at them and they smile back and then you go. He said, you have to hand them something like this. And he handed them a, uh, um, we'll call it a debit card. Uh, <laughs> hands them a debit card. And then when he was telling the people this back down in the, in the jungles in the Amazon, he said, 
people, don't listen to them. They hand it right back to you. So he says, that's why all the foreigners are so fat. They just can go and they don't have to hunt for their food. They don't have to guard them. They just go and take it. And then he says, and you know what? When they go walking on the trail, they just stand there and the trail moves. You guys have been to airports too. So he just keeps going on. Man, I better move on. I got to tell you this. All right. Minkai, he loves seeing African Americans. He loves seeing black people. He loves their skin. He, when he has gone around um, with us speaking and whatnot, he'll go and he'll just, oh, there was this one guy. He just, just rubbed, was rubbing his skin. And he said, when I get to heaven, that's the kind of skin I'm going to have. Well, it gets better. Because then he saw this lady with pink hair. I mean, we're not talking like kind of pinkish. We're talking like sweater pink. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pointing at you. You have the pink sweater on. Pink, pink. So, once again, free of charge. When you get to heaven and you see the black man with pink hair, that's Minkai. But this one time, I don't know how I got on that, but this one time... There was a lady, and she was of decent proportion, and uh, and and this lady wanted to hug Minkai. Well, Minkai is not exactly the tallest man in the world. He's about this tall. And she grabs him, and he was right there. I mean, right there. And it was just a big barrel hug, and, and then she, after a while, let him go, and he just came out with the biggest smile. <laughs> So evidently, there's some, there's some good that comes from that, but... Okay. Wow. You guys are really egging me on. This is not good. But how do we, as Christ followers, how do we live our lives intentionally 52 weeks out of the year? How do we be the church no matter where we are? How do we bloom wherever God has planted us? We do need to go. We do need to go to the mission field. But you know what? The mission field is just as much here as we were looking at all the statistics from our culture today. Looking at, man, the, the, the financial need, the career need, the, and on down the list, the families. We're looking at our culture, and then do you know what we did? We looked at the statistics inside the church. And guess what we saw? They were the exact same thing. And in some cases, the church was worse. I said, well, God has called us to be a light. How can we be a light when there's no light, when we're no different than the world? How is the... You guys have been out like outside where there's a lot of bugs and you have a light, and what happens? All the bugs are drawn to the light. How are we going to draw people to the love of Christ if our lives don't look any different than their lives? In fact, I know some people who are not saved who are better people than a lot of Christians. How are they going to be drawn in? How are they going to, to have any desire to know Christ? 
if our lives don't look any different than theirs, in some cases a lot worse than theirs. All we did is we looked into the Word of God and we said, okay, the Word of God is practical and relevant today just as much as it was the day it was written. How do we take the principles from the Word of God and apply them to our culture without being preachy? It's very easy to go and say, well, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God. Wonderful. But you know what? They don't care about God. They don't care about the church. We have all these wonderful programs to draw people into the church. But you know what? They don't want to come into the church because of the church, you and me. They've been burned, they've been whatever. They've been hurt by Christians and so they don't want anything to do with Christians. So how do we take this outside the doors of the church to where they are hurting? Meeting the need of hurting people right where they are in life. But you see, you and I may have some wisdom. This is the source of our wisdom. So how do we take this, the Word of God, and present it to people without being preachy? Well, we started working at it. We said, alright, well here's some principles in the area of finances, okay? In finance, we need to talk about income and expenses. We need to talk about saving. And we need to talk about debt. Go look up those words in the Word of God. We've done it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references. Go look at careers. Well, in careers, you know, God has gifted us each very uniquely. You have unique talents and abilities and passions that are that there's nobody else just like you. So in, in the area of career, the first thing we can do is, man, as you're and I know there's a lot of students in here, find a career path that fits your talents, your passions, and your abilities. I was staying up with uh, with some friends in Atlanta, and, and the sister of one of these friends was a pharmacist, and she was over. Actually, it was her place that we were staying. And uh, one evening when we came in, I just asked her, I said, so, you're a pharmacist, do you, do you like what you do? She said, no, I hate it. I was not expecting that. I said, really? I mean, you, you don't like anything about it? She said, no, I dread going into work every day. I said, well, why don't you do something different? She said, well, I've gotten used to the lifestyle. You know what, there's never enough money. There's never enough money to make your job, to make you do something that you don't enjoy. So, in the area of career, we challenge people, hey, what, how, and we don't say God, but what abilities and talents and passions do you have? What do you just love to do? Is it possible to make a career out of that? Are you already doing that? I ask people a lot. So, do you like your job? Quick story, we were in Walmart one day, and uh, we were going through the checkout line, we were just getting supplies for lunch at work. And went through the line, and I, make a, I try to make a habit of doing this, but I just asked the lady, her name was Tori. I said, Tori, do you like your job? Are you having a good day? Actually, that's why I started with, do you have, are you having a good day? Yeah, it's good. You know, you go through, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Right? And that's what she said. She said, yeah, it's good. 
I said, are you really having a good day or are you just saying that? He said, well, yeah, it's been kind of a... hadn't been so good of a day. I said, really? We had a two-minute conversation. It was no more than two minutes. She said, she finally asked, she said, are you like a reporter or something? I mean, why are you asking me all these questions? I said, no, you know, we've... We've started this um, this uh, new division of, a, of an organization we work with that you know just helps people where they're hurting. You know, in, in different areas of life, we just come alongside people and um, and just walk with them through life and help them and and whatnot. Oh, okay. One week to the day later, there's a knock on our door. Now we had just opened up this office; it's a separate office from my tech, she, and I told her that we were at the Dunellen Airport. That's all she knew. We were we helped people and we're at the Denon Airport. It had something to do with life. There's a knock on the door. Now, you have to understand, nobody comes to our office. Nobody. If they're coming to see they're coming to iTech, which is about a third of a mile away. Nobody comes. Okay, this is weird. Go to the door, answer, who is it? It's Tori and her boyfriend Edson. Hey guys, come on in. And I actually wasn't even there. It was Jim. She said, you guys, uh, you know, we talked about a week ago at Walmart. She said, you guys help people, right? Well, Edson and I were talking that night. And uh, I was over at his place. And and he's just struggling. Could you guys help him? Okay. Yeah. So Jim started meeting with Edson at a coffee shop. They, to this day, have a relationship. Just, how, just you know, real-world practical discipleship. That's all it is. Without being preachy. And so then we go through and, you know, family. Man, and when we talk about families, do you know how to communicate to your family? You, you've seen my family. I need to know which love language or languages each member of my family speak so that I can communicate to them. Man, what time are we supposed to be done? Are we supposed to already be done? Okay, well, if you guys all leave, then I'll stop talking. But I have to tell you this story. My daughter Haley, her love language is gifts. I mean, every time when Dad is about to go on a trip, and I don't go on that many trips, but when I go, when I leave, she says, Dad, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going to Kentucky. She said, what is it? what's Kentucky known as? I said, I don't know, horses. She said, will you bring me back a horse? I said, we have horses here. We're fine. We don't, but my parents do. I said, no, I'm not bringing you back a horse. She said, well, what are you going to bring me? Bring me back something, please. Well, then I happen to run into these kind people here who have a toy company. A light up, it's called Light Up Toys. And like if you go to an amusement park and you get the, all the different things that have lights in them, they make them. Well, they took us over. We met with them, had breakfast. It was a very good breakfast at Wild Eggs. And we went to their, to their warehouse. And man, when we left, I had a box like this, full of toys. In fact, their latest toy, which is going to be coming out in Christian bookstores, is a uh, is a replica of my grandfather's airplane, um, two five six hotel, or as they call it, five six Henry, and uh, and it, it has a little remote control. Which, by the way, that remote control make that the bucket. Okay. So, and what it does, it has a string, and you hit it. And the airplane starts circling overhead. It's cool. Anyway. So I'm taking these toys back. And you know what? 
And they, they packaged like a whole bag of toys for each one of my kids, specific to their age range. I'm going to be king of the house when I get home. <laughs> and, they, and stuff from my wife too, so I'm really going to be doing good. It's, it's as though I was thinking of my girls the whole time here. All I did is go shopping for them. But you know, we're, we're not just hurting in these areas of life. Physical. You know, people are hurting in the physical area of life. And we need to address that. And we talk about exercise and eating right. Small things that make a huge difference. We talk about the social area of life. How can we be a good friend? And how can we have good friends? People that are calling us up and people that we are calling up as well. It's an important area of life. And then intellectual. We need to always be growing. We can get so... And um, I, had, I should have written down his name. The, the gentleman who spoke yesterday in the, uh, in the morning... Uh, plenary session talked about this about being about you know we're we're such a media crazed society especially those who are who are young a little bit younger than I am coming up but you know what we need to continually be growing in the area of our intellect you know there's and we can use technology to do that there's podcasts out there audiobooks we were listening to when helping hurts audiobook form on the way up here as we were driving great book we were very sad that, uh, that Brian Fickert's wife um, had, the, had the deal so he couldn't be here with us this weekend. But you know what? Reading books. Now, those of you in medical school, you're like, I've read so many books. I don't, I'm done with books. But you know what? We need to continually be stretching our mind, growing, reading not only the Word of God, but other things that will, that will you know, build us up so that we can be a Moses to a Joshua, as we also heard. And then, of course, the, the need that is universal is spiritual. What we did is we packaged this in such a way that you sit down with somebody and you go through each area of life in the, in the order in which they perceive their needs. So the first time when you sit down with them in a coffee shop or a restaurant, you have a little sheet and, and you kind of give them an overview of everything that we're going to do. Once again, not preachy, we don't say, this is from the Bible. We don't do that. But we just say, this is what we're going to be talking about. And then we ask them to rate each area of their life. How would you rate on a 1 to 10 scale, 1 being good, 10 being bad? I think that's the way the scale goes. I think it is. It's either that or the opposite. But you get the idea. And I say, okay, how would you rate this area of life? I think 10 is good, 1 is bad. So that is how it is. All right. So they rate the different areas of life. And then you go through the areas in which whatever has the lowest number, that's the area that you start with. And so by the time, and, and here's what we've also realized. People in our country, whether they're spiritual or not, whether they're a believer or not, we all feel that we're spiritual. Yes, we're a very spiritual nation. So normally they're going to rate spiritual as doing pretty well. Especially a lot better than most of the other areas of life. And so by the time we get to the spiritual and what we do, the whole thing is we help people set and achieve goals in every area of life. There's something magic about when you write down a goal. Not just think it, but write it down. And you have goals in the different areas of life. There's something magic that happens. And you actually normally accomplish it or get very close. And so as we're, we're going through this, we realize, okay, 
Well, as they're starting to see improvements in their finances and in their family and in their career and in their all these different things, do you know what? That's great. Because now we have credibility. And so when we come to the spiritual lesson, we say, uh, you know, everything that you've learned is from the Word of God. What? You mean like the Bible? Yeah, the Bible. Everything that you have learned is from the Bible. They may be able to, if you went and you told them how, how good your life is now that you're applying these principles, and they even see a difference in your life, that's one thing. They cannot deny when they see a change in their own life. And then there's, a, there's Bible verses. One or two verses for each life area. Very direct. And then you as a life coach have, a, have the opportunity to share your testimony and share the gospel. Because it doesn't matter if people die having good finances or bad finances. It doesn't matter if they die you know, having a great career or no career. Whether their family has succeeded or whether it's failed. It doesn't matter. It does matter where they go when they die. We can't do one without doing the other. We need to be the church every moment of every day. We need to live intentionally but while keeping our focus on eternity. By the way, that's what life in Life University stands for. Living intentionally. Focusing eternally. Eternally. You know, what we realize, this is not a... this. curriculum that we've put together is not an end all. It's simply a catalyst where a Christian, a Christ follower can sit down one hour a week for nine to twelve weeks investing their life into the life of others on a one-on-one format. You have the opportunity not only to see their life improve but to share with them how they can have eternal life with Christ. But once again, it's just a catalyst. And then we realize, you know what? What about for the Christ follower? And so we developed a manual. This has the training sessions. There's a training DVD. Uh, it's probably up on the screen. And we go through and we start going guiding principles. And I just want to show you this. There's financial. So we go through financial. And we talk about income and expenses. We talk about savings. And we talk about debt. But it's not from us, it's what the Word of God says about these things. And you'll see throughout here, just Bible reference after Bible reference after Bible reference. And then in the back, we have additional, like six pages of additional Bible references broken down by finances and career. So that the Christ follower can begin, this is just a catalyst to get them digging deeper into the Word of God about all these different areas of life, how they can live intentionally while keeping their focus on eternity. Look, we have a hurting and dying world today. It's all around us every single day, not just two weeks a year. The hurt is different. It looks different than what we see overseas. But it's just as real and it's just as painful. The United States is one of the biggest mission fields in the world today. So I would submit to you, if all you do is pay attention to two weeks a year, you will answer for that one day and you're missing the mark. It's not easy, but we have not been called to an easy life. We have been called to be soldiers. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, we, we talk about, you know, teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we need to do that. But then what does the next verse say? It says, endure hardness as a good soldier. Acts 1.8, man, 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. But when we go back, just before Luke wrote that, back in Luke chapter 24, I think it's 24, verse 47, he says, start in Jerusalem. Where is your Jerusalem this morning? That is where you need to start. That is where we as the church need to be the church. And if we will be the church, we will make a difference that will last for eternity. I would challenge you, if you're not being intentional today, stop by the booth, pick up life coaching, because we are not called to two weeks a year. We need to consider the other 50 weeks. Are you with me? There's 52 weeks in the year. Let's live intentionally and keeping our focus on eternity. Thanks for being here.